imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global Podcast, where we will be discussing emerging lessons about diversity and inclusion from this global pandemic crisis with Trudy Bourgeois, one of America's leading experts on transformational leadership and a highly regarded leader in the field of leadership and diversity and inclusion. Some leaders may have diverted their focus away from diversity and inclusion as they grappled with really urgent questions around how to manage new economic realities if organizations are not actively renewing their commitment to stamping out discrimination, they can expect to see inequities grow deeper and even more insidious. This is a time when an organization's past investments in diversity and inclusion can actually yield significant rewards if leaders are able to pivot and adapt those initiatives to new needs. It's increasingly clear that a commitment to equity is not just the right thing to do, it's actually good business. Research has proven over and over again that executives at organizations with advanced diversity and inclusion strategies are about 30% more likely than others to feel highly loyal, innovative, and set up for top performance. During these challenging times, there may be a growing divide among various employee populations. Diverse talent may actually be overlooked when new opportunities arise as the businesses begin to pivot. So right now is the time for sponsors and allies to be more deliberate about committing their time to connecting with and developing diverse talent. Leaders have got to now balance speed with decision-making, which is actually critical in these times, with the need to include the voices of the groups affected by the decisions being made every single day in business. As the pandemic shifts the reality for all of us, needs will also continue to change, and smart leaders will use this time to understand the needs and reconfigure diversity and inclusion support programs to meet them. To help all of us better understand how to gain the most from diversity and inclusion programs and help position them as crucial strategic assets, both in good times and bad, please help me welcome Trudy Bourgeois, one of America's leading experts on transformational leadership and a highly regarded leader in the field of leadership and diversity and inclusion. That's right, Linda. And we're so thrilled to have Trudy with us today to talk about emerging lessons about diversity and inclusion. Trudy is the founder and CEO of Workforce Excellence. She's a consultant, an author, and an author of four best-selling leadership books. Holy cow. She's an expert at developing managers and leaders on how to truly unleash the greatest potential of every employee. Trudy is a highly sought-out resource she is the founder and the CEO, as I said a second ago, of the Center of Workforce Excellence, but has also been leading that organization for nearly two decades. 
Dollars and Cents Magazine honored Trudy as one of the best and brightest women leaders in her various roles as author, speaker, teacher, and researcher. Trudy continues to utilize her superb management and interpersonal skills. Trudy has authored four leadership books, including Her Corner Office, A Guide to Help Women Find a Place and a Voice in Corporate America, and The Hybrid Leader, Blending the Best of Male and Female Leadership Styles, and has just released her latest book entitled Equality, Courageous Conversations About Women, Men, and Race to Spark a Diversity and Inclusion Breakthrough, which is available now and more relevant than ever. Trudy has served as an advisor to the creation of multiple studies, including Being Black in Corporate America, an Intersectional Exploration Research Study. She is the consultant of, of record to design the 2020 Executive Leadership Council's Game Changer Conference and the Advancing Black Leaders Initiative. Trudy, it is wonderful to have you here with us today. We're thrilled. Well, I'm equally thrilled between what Linda said in her opening comments and what you just said, Christina. I'm on fire. Like I, I want to be. I want to do something big. You guys really are very inspiring. Congratulations on all that you're doing uh, around the world. Thank you so much. And again, today, like we, Linda mentioned it, I mentioned it. I, we're thrilled to have you with us today because the topic of diversity and inclusion is such a relevant one always, but even more topically relevant today as we've been leading through 2020. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about your journey and what has led you to such have such passion around building diversity and having more diverse teams and inclusive cultures? Well, it's a great question. And I think before I delve into sharing I want to make sure that we're all on the same page relative to definitions, because a lot of times people hear the words diversity and inclusion, and honestly, they have an allergic reaction. And the reason why that happens is because they don't understand the definitions. And so diversity is about the uniqueness of each and every individual. So this is not a zero-sum game. You can have two white men in a room, and you're going to have diversity, or two Asian men in a room, and you're going to have diversity. The opportunity for us is to create environments that are more inclusive, where that diversity can authentically be leveraged to do what Linda was talking about, which is to help companies gain a competitive advantage. So I came to <laughs> embrace uh, what I perceived to be a God-given responsibility around this topic um, as a little girl. I was born in 1959 into segregation. I was a part of desegregation. Um, growing up in the Deep South in Mobile, Alabama, um, I lived through Jim Crow. And so at a very early age, I knew what it felt like to be excluded. And so the desire, the appetite, the thirst to be a part of saying, no, we can't judge people just because of their skin color or because of their gender, started when I was just, you know, integrating um, the Catholic school system. And it was a very tumultuous time. Uh, some might argue, and I would be one of those who would argue, that we are in equally tumultuous times. Um, in fact, to be very honest with you, Christina, I have had nightmares. I've had flashbacks um, over the last eight months to my childhood where 
um, I would wake up um, in, in just a, a cold, teary sweat because the Klan used to go um, through neighborhoods looking for unsupervised children to lynch. And so my parents, yes, this is very real. Um, so my parents were very committed to education. And, um, and, and so God love them and rest their souls. They worked two and three jobs for us to be able to, to, to go to the schools, but no one wanted us at the school. And in fact, in third grade, when I integrated into the, um, school system, uh, there at St. Ignatius, um, I, like, uh, all other, uh, perhaps black people at the time, I was excited because I was going to get to go to the good school, right? I was going to learn good stuff. And um, uh, on one of my first few days there on the playground, it happened. And it was the moment of rejection. And it was uh, a young little boy who said to one of his friends, um, we don't want any doo-doo babies at our school. And that then sparked another young um, boy to say, they don't call them doo-doo babies. They call them, and, and he used the N-word. And I, uh, my parents, you know, my grandmother was the product of a slave and a slave master. So she appeared Caucasian. So uh, my parents were very intentional about um, words and what they meant and how they were used. And so I was like dumbfounded. I was like, are, are you talking to me? But then the, the worst of this piece of the story um, is that a little boy spat right in my face. And the nuns, God love their soul. They didn't know what to do. They came out. You remember the nuns used to keep their tissue underneath their watch? And they came out, you know, swinging their tissues, and they called my mom. My mom, who, God love her, should have never had a driver's license, uh, came and got me. And we lived at the bottom of the hill. where uh, The school was at the top of the hill where the rich kids lived, and we lived at the bottom of the school uh, of the hill where more poor less resource people lived. And my grandmother was waiting for us um, in this driveway because it was a pebbled road, right? It wasn't a real street between the two houses. And uh, I got out and I was so full of hate. I wanted to hurt people. I wanted to go back honestly and, and inflict harm because I felt it so deep inside my core. And my grandmother, God rest her soul, um, took me into her arms and she said, baby, we're not going to we're not going to go back and hurt anybody. And I was like, no, I'm going to get my brothers. I mean, my parents had 10 kids, five boys and five girls. Right. I was going to go back. We're going to do something. And she spoke these words into my life, which changed my life. And she said, listen, God has put you on this earth at this time for a reason. And there's going to be many, many days and many, many times where you're going to go places and you're going to be the only one who looks like you. And she said, you have to remember. Sorry. It is not what you're called. It's what you answer to. And we're going to pray for those people because they just are ignorant and they don't understand. And so from that moment on, this quest to um, figure out how do, how do we bring each other along? How do we overcome these deeply seated um, um, biases that cause us to place labels on people? It just became a part of my DNA. What a powerful story. 
I mean, the examples and stories that you just wove together, Trudy, are, are shocking. They're vulgar. And in my mind, in the year 2020, they seem impossible. But you know, that kind of hatred has raised its ugly head, even as recently as this past year. Um, so we know that there's still work to do regarding diversity and inclusion. And as you noted, diversity and inclusion issues can range across gender, across race, across ethnicity, national origin, generations, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression. We've seen a lot of that this past year. Disability, um, veteran status, political affiliation. <laughs> we don't even have to talk about that with election that just, uh, that just happened in our nation, but it can also, uh, appear in educational levels, experience, age, work style, communication style, socioeconomic background, cross-cultural competency and perspective. So help us understand what practicing a much more open, much more um, sort of curious sort of mindset looks like in practice. How can we strengthen our own personal practice of understanding diversity and being more inclusive? Well, another great question. So most people, honestly, are in the bubble. And if you're a member of the dominant group, um, you don't have to think about getting up in the morning and the possibility that you might be pulled over by a police officer and killed before you get to the the office. And in the you know last eight months, to your point, um, the underbelly um, of hatred and evil uh, and division has become more of the norm. And that's been complicated because in uh, crisis times like COVID, right, uh, like the COVID-19 pandemic that we're experiencing, what happens is that people default to people that they already know. They default to people that they already have relationships with and that they trust. And so the exclusion gets even that much more dramatic. And so the first thing that we have to recognize is that this is not just going to happen. You have to make a choice to get into the game. You're either going to be a bystander or an upstander. You're either going to be a part of the problem or you're going to be a part of the solution. And people don't understand that when I'm silent, when I say nothing, when I see inequities, I am saying volumes. I am speaking louder than the actual person who is the perpetrator. Because what I'm saying when I am silent is I am okay. Whatever I see, it's all right with me because you know what? I'm good. So unless we first get out of the bubble, and, you know, uh, in writing um, Equality, we interviewed over 25,000 people across many, many industries, and we asked them a series of questions. But one of the questions that we asked them was, where is diversity, equality, and inclusion on your personal leadership agenda? And 80% said it's not. So if you're not thinking about it, if you're going through your life and your life is great and you're not... Um, you know, concerned about someone thinking that uh, if you walk into the Chanel store that you you aren't there legitimately to consider purchasing, but because of your skin color, you must be a thief. 
Like if you don't have to have these thoughts, right, then then you don't because it's messy. Who who wants to have to deal with that? Who who wants to to know that level of rejection on a daily basis? And so, Linda, to the words that you selected, you said, "How do we become more curious?" Right. So curiosity is a is a choice. And you know, we were talking before we began our dialogue today. What happens is because of labels, we make up stories about each other. And then those stories become our reality. So unless we're willing to engage in a conversation and actually not just be curious, but be compassionate, be empathetic, um, be courageous enough to actually say, you know what, I, I don't know what it would feel like, but I want to understand. Then, then we, we're never going to do anything different. Nothing's ever going going to change. And so, you know, this awakening, the the gift of George Floyd, and God um, rest his soul, and and just so shameful his untimely death. But the gift that he gives us is that he awakened a level of consciousness that that where people had gone to sleep, we had become numb. Okay, we become none to inequities. It, it was just like, oh, so somebody else got killed today and they didn't do anything wrong. Oh, well, somebody else got killed today. We in the workplace, we we know intellectually that the data says that women and people of color are not receiving equal opportunities for advancement. We know that. But what hasn't happened that, uh, God willing, we think is starting to happen is people like you and Christina are pausing and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is going on here? And so we're starting to ask the questions that then hopefully will stir the conviction to the degree that we get involved, we, we take action. We don't sit on the sidelines and, you know, we are so convicted we're so stirred you know that when we see inequities like you can't you can't just allow it to happen and this is the awakening and now the reckoning that we need to have happen and particularly now in the midst of what people are calling three um, pandemics you've got the covid pandemic you've got the uh, the financial uh, potential teetering recession pandemic and you have racism now as the third pandemic. Trudy, I just want to back up on something that you said a second ago that just triggered something for me. And since we're supposed to be having provocative conversations on in this podcast, I'm hoping you can you can help frame it for me and tell me if I, what I'm feeling is is right on or if if it's not. Linda mentioned early in the introduction that you know companies that have diversity and inclusion strategies experience higher levels of creativity, of loyalty, of employee engagement. They have definitely, right? They have their employees, their top talent tends to stay in their positions longer. They feel a stronger sense of being a part of something. So in the experience and all the research you've done with the companies that you've um, studied, that you've met their leaders, that you've looked, you know, at the workings inside, um, those that have embraced these strong diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, you know, what what about those companies has or those initiatives in those companies has made them successful? 
Well, um, to, to just begin, um, I just recently um, was a uh, conference designer for ELC's CEO Game Changer Conference. And we had Doug McMillan, who's the CEO of Walmart. We had Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. We had David Taylor, the CEO of uh, Procter & Gamble. And then we had Tim Ryan, who is the chairman of PwC. And all of those men said something that really shook the ground. They said, we didn't own it before now. And so if you want to know what the secret is to really a breakthrough, you know, it's not being an advocate. That, that's great. It's not being an ally. That's great, too. It's being an owner, owning it, right? And so these CEOs and many, many other CEOs were very comfortable to say, well, we've got a chief diversity officer. We're, we're doing great. Or, you know, they look at their, their numbers and they say, oh, look at how many women we've promoted. But then when you disaggregate the data, what you find is they've promoted white females. Why? White men are more comfortable first with white men, second with white females. And so when they actually took the ownership and they went out and they listened to people's stories, they were like, and like, oh, my gosh, this can't possibly be happening, right? It's not that they were maliciously not trying to own it, but they didn't have the personalization. The data, the data has been so loud about the business uh, benefits of diversity, uh, equality, equity, inclusion. The data has not been enough. You gotta feel this. You gotta feel it to the degree that you are emotionally touched. And each of them talked about having their moment of like, oh my, wow. Like I thought I was doing something, but I really wasn't doing anything because I wasn't treating it the way Linda described it, you know, as a strategic business imperative. And so for those, individuals, those leaders who say, uh, yeah, you know, I believe in it. Show me what you've done. Show, show, give me your playbook. Show me your action. You know, if this is a business imperative, I'll put my old um, corporate hat on for a minute. Um, I don't know who would miss their number. You know, my technical background is sales and marketing. And I can just say, I don't know who would miss their number two years in a row and keep a job, let alone 50 years, okay? So so stop with the rhetoric that this is a you know business imperative. I call BS on that. I call BS because your actions do not align with what a business imperative looks like. And so you, you have to decide, uh, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and um, we asked Doug McMillan a question, and this is a great example. Uh, we asked him the question, so what do you say to your employees who say, hmm, I'm, not really, I'm not really down with this stuff? Like, you guys have over-rotated. And he said, you know, we want every Walmart associate to be proud to work for Walmart, and we want them to be happy, and we want them to be thrilled about our commitment but if they can't see their way towards the, our new North Star, then perhaps they need to think about 
sing their way to a new employer. And you could have heard a pen drop. It was, even though we were virtual, that it was a mic dropping moment. <laughs> I love that. And I love this idea of ownership. That, that clarifies it so neatly, right? It's not about necessarily being a champion or an advocate or an ally or a sponsor. It's about being an owner. And that, that is just incredible insight. Trudy, I've known you for a while and you have decades of experience successfully recruiting exceptional board members, executives, and functional leaders from diverse backgrounds. And as a leader, how can you identify the diversity gaps in an organization and address them as a leader? Is there a way that to objectively assess diversity and inclusion competency at an organization and identify those places where there's a gap. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, there's multiple ways. And, and, and let me start first by saying, look at the board. Look at the board. Does the board reflect the face of the consumers and the customers and the communities that these organizations serve? Okay. Do, does anybody on the board embrace responsibility for oversight? Because if it's a true business imperative, there is going to be a board committee that is going to work with that CEO. Secondly, we talked about disaggregating the data. What we see is that women and people of color are in the bowels of the organization, not in the senior leadership ranks. If we didn't have any, any inequities, just based upon the, the stats, we'd have 50 black CEOs. We have four, and we've had only one black female CEO. And so there, there are indicators um, that would help you to understand whether or not your organization is inclusive. And most organizations now are integrating questions about the employee experience and belonging and inclusion and equity in their org health surveys. But there's a couple of other ways that you can tell immediately. Look at the values that the company said, what do we value? What do we value? And if you don't see equity, inclusion, um, equality, if you don't see any of those things there, they're playing. They're playing with it. Okay. It's window dressing. Then the next thing is you ask them, let me see your leadership framework. Because every organization has a leadership framework. And the framework says, look, in order to be at this level, you got to demonstrate these capabilities. In order to be at this level, you got to demonstrate these capabilities. Look to see if there are any inclusive leadership behaviors incorporated into those expectations. Then finally, <laughs> this is where the rubber really meets the road. Look at how people are compensated. Are they held accountable? And, you know, for years, people have talked about, oh, well, you know, we, we've linked some of our efforts to their bonus. Give me a break. We're The three of us are businesswomen. We know that bonuses come and go. And if you're going to ding me and it's going to cost me $200 on my bonus, do I really care? Oh, come on, please. But if you say that it's a condition of my employment and I don't get my paycheck, not my bonus. I don't get to stay employed if I don't start behaving as an inclusive leader. I'll give you an example. At Coca-Cola, Mutar Kent, who's now the chairman of the board, 
I had the privilege and honor of interviewing him uh, many times over the, the years. And one of the things that he said to me that really stuck with me, and I talk about it frequently, is he talked about making the decision that in his organization, if you have not, or at the time did not demonstrate by your behaviors that you were dedicated to learning to become an inclusive leader and your people were saying that you were doing it, you could not get promoted. You could not be on the succession planning list. Now, you look at those kind of indicators, then you say that's a company that is serious. Now, we could debate why they got serious, and everybody knows the story of Coca-Cola and its challenges. Sometimes it's for pain. Sometimes it's for gain. Sometimes it's a mixture of both. But at the end of the day, all the time, it's about one word, leadership. That's so true. So true. Trudy, you've given us so many awesome things to think about today. And gosh, I could just talk to you. I want to peel back the layers on every single one of those questions and topics. And we're going to have more discussions with Trudy because you're just amazing. So thank you so much. Um, but today for our listeners out there, share with them the best piece of leadership advice you've ever personally received that you think is worth sharing with them today. Um, people won't care about you or your organization until they know that you care about them. We work with humans, people. We have feelings. We want to feel included. We want to feel like we have a sense of belonging. We want to know that this is a place where I am welcomed. This is my home. You want to be successful as a business leader? Uh, any day, not just today, 50 years from today, when somebody is looking at this uh, recording, that same phenomenon, that same construct will still be applicable because at the end of the day, all of our careers will come to an end, every single one of us. And people are not going to remember how many widgets you sold or gadgets or gadgets that you created, but they're going to remember how did you treat me? And that's why leadership, the global effort that you guys have, that's why it's so important because you are shaping the, the, the appetite for a shift in leadership style, in a shift in leadership responsibility, in a shift in leadership engagement. And I quite frankly think that it will be women. It will be us. The people who have been discounted for you're not strategic enough and you're, you're, you're too caring and you're too collaborative and you're too whatever. It is us and those skills that will be the secret to our country, our businesses, our communities, our citizens, our children having a better day tomorrow. I could not agree more. And thank you so much for just the way you've closed us out, that beautiful piece of leadership advice, and just the opportunity to hear from you and learn from you today. I think you've inspired everyone today, Trudy. So thank you so much. Well, thank you both. It was a delight. For sure. I am fired up now. So Trudy, thank you. And really appreciate your time. Well, thank you all for your leadership. Uh, congratulations on all your success and be safe and keep up the good work. Thank you. 
thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.